Um, for those of you who weren't with us last week, let me just kind of uh, tell you a little bit about what we did last week because this is such a an important um, passage of Scripture. Uh, it is... Um, at least the subject that it contains is the, is the foundation to every aspect of our salvation. That is, uh, union in Christ, which we'll get to in just a second. But um, uh, what I tried to do last week is clear away uh, the misconceptions that surround the text because it's the misconceptions that I'm afraid rob us of seeing or enjoying <clears throat> the profundity that it really contains. Um, years ago, uh, I mean years ago, I couldn't have been more than 10, um, which was 25 years ago or so. Um, I, my, um, um, I had some buddies in the neighborhood, and, and we had heard that you could, you could ride horses. You could rent a horse and ride a horse uh, at this place. In, uh, it was in Whitehaven, and so... Um, about four of us went, and, and indeed you could rent these horses. And of course, you can't imagine the kind of horses you can rent for five bucks uh, on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, these these things are one step away from a glue factory, and um, and these were. I mean, these were these were just old, dead, tired slugs. And and um, um, and the, you know, have they have this path that you're supposed to go on? And and apparently the horses know the path, and and they just you know you. you Come on, Lord! Come on! And and there's no there's no there's no going. <laughs> I mean, you just you just kind of walk around this thing, and and it's just really a wasted five dollars. But uh, but uh, on my particular horse, um, it, you know, it was a wasted five dollars, and and the horse wasn't going anywhere until about the last five minutes of the of my my time on this horse. And for some reason, this horse. Well, I I mean, I, I finally figured it out at the end, but. This horse started running, and you know, I have never, you know, I've never been much on a horse, and and um, you can imagine what a galloping horse would do to. I mean, it just, it was just, it was terrifying, and I mean, this horse, I mean, just breakneck speed from here to the ball fields or further, and just, and I was holding on for dear life and just wondering why in the world I'd spent my five dollars like this. And um and, and we and we're coming to the barn. And you know, there's <laughs> there's things that you can hit <laughs> and, and can hurt people and and this horse you know, horse stop. And it it wasn't listening to a thing I said. And this horse and dashed into the barn and you know, immediately when he got to where he wanted to go, stopped. I mean I didn't get him going, I didn't get him stopped, but the the point is it turned out that this blasted horse smelled water, I guess, or was thirsty, um, and knew where the water was because, I mean, he immediately began to lap in this water. Well, that blasted horse almost killed me because of this whiff that it got of water. Well, all I have to say this, guys, people come to Romans chapter 6 and they get this whiff of water and they immediately begin to think that this is a, a, a wonderful statement about baptism. And, and I, you know, I don't know of anything that is, is uh, more um, misunderstood. And, and, it's, and, and, and fortunately, 
um, some of the misunderstandings are somewhat tame, and, but there's just so much confusion about baptism, et cetera, et cetera. And, but all, I, what I was saying last week is, um, if you want to whiff around at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, there's no water in it. Um, there's, no, there's no baptism in it, although the word bapti- baptism is found. And so immediately in the, the evangelical South, we begin to think of the sacrament because there's so much conversation about it. Let me read you the, the, the verse. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many, as, uh, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so, as a result of that word being found, um, people, I think, uh, jump to the conclusion that we're talking about the sacrament and unfortunately miss a great deal of its, of its richness. This is not, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a statement about the sacrament of baptism. It is a statement about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, as a result, uh, by the way, before, before I race ahead, there's, a, there's one other thing that I kind of, there's really kind of two or three little quick things that I want to clear away. Um, um, you, you do know, or have you ever heard of the issue known as baptismal regeneration? Have you ever heard of that, that term? The whole idea that contained within the sacrament of baptism, there is regeneration. That is, via being baptized, um, regeneration occurs in the event itself. Guys, it was so bad at some points in the history of the church that um, armies would go to certain lands, conquer the lands, and bring all of the villagers into a spot, and they would always bring a priest with the army, and they would throw water over their heads um, because in so doing, they felt... That was a salvific event. That's baptismal regeneration. Um, this, this act or this thought that the act of, of baptism conveys salvation. That is a, um, the, the sacrament of baptism, gang, doesn't convey anything. It, it symbolizes something that does convey something. <laughs> and we'll, we'll try to take a look at that um, also. One other quick thing, just to try to reinforce that this is not having to do with a sacrament. It has to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but just one thing, just another quick note. Here's a principle, ladies and gentlemen. Sacraments must be consistent... No, let me say it different. Symbols must be consistent with that, they are try- with that which they are trying to symbolize. It, it, it's easily illustrated. The point is, um, for instance, in the Lord's Supper, we use grape juice, not orange juice. Why? It symbolizes blood. Would orange juice do that? The symbol 
must be consistent with what is being symbolized. Now, I say that to say once you come to this idea of baptism, I know what pops into many evangelical heads. What pops into many evangelical heads is the issue of the immersionistic view of baptism. That's what pops into many evangelical heads in the South. But if you will notice, what's being said here is that we are baptized into Christ's death, into His death. Now tell me, if the symbol must be consistent with the symbol, what is being symbolized, how in the world does this symbolize crucifixion? You know what I mean by this? That is, being, going underneath water and then coming back up out of the water. If I am being baptized into His death, how does this symbolize it? It's just not in the symbol. The symbol is not consistent with what is trying to be symbolized. All I'm trying to say is that's another reason why you must know that what is in view here is not the sacrament. Now, I think that's enough of that, I hope. I want you to keep your fingers in Romans chapter 6, and I want you to find with me real, real fast Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is, this is the place I always like to start when it comes to the issue of baptism because I think, in my mind, it clarifies a lot. At least it does for me, and I, and I hope it will for you. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> let's start at verse 4. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, guys, um, verse 5 consists of six English words. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, in this context, uh, for instance, and when Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he says, Now, gang, you out there in Ephesus, there is one Lord. What is immediately going to pop into the minds of the Ephesian Christians reading the letter? Jesus. There's one Lord. I mean, pretty simple exegesis. Now, um, then he says, there's one faith. What is going to pop into the minds of the Ephesian Christians then? It's a little bit more difficult. But um, could we not safely say that what Paul has in mind is that faith which will ultimately, savingly, Join you to this one Lord, Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty true to the context. We're talking about all these one, unique things. Well, there's another faith out there, but it won't save you. Um, but this one, I think the apostle has in mind this one faith that joins us ultimately to Christ. There's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. Now, we know what the one Lord is. We know what the one faith is. What 
one baptism does Paul have in mind when he is writing to the Ephesian church? I always like to start this way when I'm, when I'm dealing with um, couples who are considering baptism. Because I, wanna, I, I asked them, what is the central baptism of the New Testament? What is the New Testament's uh, when it comes, in the mind of the New Testament, the baptism that is always on the tip of its tongue in the New Testament, what baptism is that? What? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, the, gang, in that context, if there's only one of them, it would most certainly be that one that does convey saving grace within it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now guys, there again, you mention that phrase and a lot of stuff starts floating around in the minds of the evangelical world. For instance, if you have been uh, raised in a Neo-Pentecostal world, if I use that phrase, something comes to your mind. But if you're not in a non-Pentecostal world, something else is going to come to your mind. Gang, the way that I'm using the term and the way that I think the New Testament uses the term, it is to be equated with, that is, the baptism of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, is to be equated with regeneration. There is one Lord, Jesus, one faith, a saving faith. And one baptism that produces this saving faith that joins me to this one Lord. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or regeneration. You want simpler words? Uh, born again. The rebirth. That's what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you've come from a charismatic world, you're going you're gonna to have a tendency to assign something else to that. But all I'm suggesting is, at the center of the New Testament, there is an event that is authored by the Holy Spirit that leads ultimately and inevitably to one's saving commitment to Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of that to say, ladies and gentlemen, is that's what is in view in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Now, let's, let's go back to Romans 6, 3 with that in mind. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now, gang, <clears throat> you will notice some language here. First of all, the, the preposition into um, in the Greek language, there are a couple of words that can be translated in or into. There is the, the, uh, the little, little word epsilon nu or en, which is translated in in English. There is another Greek preposition, epsilon iota sigma, ice, which is translated into. And that's what you find here. That you are baptized into Christ. 
and, uh, and as many as are baptized into Christ are baptized into His death. Now, gang, stay with me. Um, the idea that Paul is conveying here in verse 3 has led the theological world to summarize all of this under a heading. When it talks about being baptized into Christ and thus baptized into His death, and by the way, verse 4 goes on to talk about uh, we also are uh, participants in His resurrection. The, the, the idea that this baptism has done certain things, it has made you a co-participant in His death and His resurrection that are mentioned right here in verses 3 and 4. Because of that, in theological circles, that idea has been summarized under this heading. Union with Christ. That is, what did this baptism into Jesus produce? It produced an identity with and a solidarity with Christ in all that He has accomplished. He has accomplished death. I am identified with that and and, and in solidarity with that death. Um, Remember what His major proposition was in verse 2? We who died uh, to sin live any longer in it. And then He's going on to explain what He means by that. How is it that we died to sin? Well, here's how. You were baptized into Christ, and because you were baptized into Christ, you are now identified with His death and everything else that He did. And that is called union with Christ. Did I leave you behind? Did I leave you in some starting block? Guys, The term or the phrase union with Christ is a theological tool. It's a theological category that is dreamed up by a bunch of high-paid theologians, highly trained theologians, to summarize a concept that is being presented in verse 3 and elsewhere in the New Testament. The concept is in the act of the Holy Spirit's regenerating us, He has brought us into Christ. And everything about Christ that He has accomplished is now credited to me. Again, the, the, the ideas or the foundation of this whole idea of unity of union with Christ is really that which we studied in Romans chapter 5. Do you remember? We said we were once in Adam, but now we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. We came out of this dominion and have, by the Holy Spirit's regenerative work, been brought out of that dominion and been planted under this dominion where Christ and everything about Him 
all of the benefits of His work become mine. And we use the term union with Christ to allude to all that. Now guys, you don't find the term union with Christ in the New Testament. But let me show you what you do find. You find, for instance, things like mutual indwelling. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14. Verse 20. Um, let's read 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Do you know what I mean by mutual indwelling? I indwell Christ and Christ indwells me. There is union with Christ. It's also found in John chapter 17. Same kind of idea. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect that the world may know, etc. I in them and you in me. There is this I'm in them and you're in me. That means you're in them. There is an identity a solidarity that the people of God enjoy as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is in regeneration, it produces this oneness with Christ. And so... All that He is and was and accomplished and achieved is now credited to me. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, victory over temptation. Jesus spent 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted um, by the, the evil one and walked out Christus Victor. Ladies and gentlemen, that victory is now my victory. I have victory over temptation because Christ has accomplished it and He and I are in union. Um, you're going to see later on in Romans chapter 6 that I am, I am also identified as his, in His resurrection because I am in union with Christ. Um, I am in, I'm enjoying uh, victory over sin because I am dead to sin. Why? Because Jesus is dead to sin. I am in solidarity with Christ. Um, everything that the Father grants the Son, He also grants to me because I am in union with Christ. Guys, um, nothing is more uh, helpful in wrestling through the issue of my safety and security than a grasp that I 
am in union with Christ. I came into that union by faith. And that faith was authored in me by the Holy Spirit of God in regeneration. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have exercised faith in Christ, you are just as likely to be lost and perish as is the Son of God. There is as much chance of you being lost and forsaken eternally as there is a chance that the Son of God will be lost and forsaken eternally. Because we are in union with Christ, authored by the Holy Spirit in the act of regeneration. Um, guys, just a couple of... I just want you to see some of these texts. Uh, uh, one of them, which is probably my... Uh, my favorite, is in Colossians chapter 3. Again, it does not use the word union. It just gives you the concept of union. And, and just to help us discuss it, theologians gave it a title. The title is Union with Christ. And that's what this baptism has done. It has identified you with His death. It has identified you with His resurrection. And on and on and on and on and on we could go. Um, let's uh, begin reading verse 1. Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now look, guys. Look at it. If then you were raised with Christ, do you see the solidarity? That is, His resurrection has produced a resurrection for me. If you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Here it is. For you died. Same thing he said in Romans chapter three, verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life, I don't, I don't have enough hands. My life, no, I'll tell you what. My life, my life, hidden in Christ with God. You are as likely to be lost and perish eternally as is the Trinity to, be per to perish eternally because your life is hidden in Christ, in God. Very interestingly, ladies and gentlemen, and this is something you're going to find out next fall when we go forward in Romans chapters. Notice what happens next. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Look at verse, 13, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, etc. Now, anybody have any problems with fornication, uh, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness? With, any, any problems with that in this, this wonderful spiritual group here? No. Am I the only pervert among the, among the room? Oh, we have another pervert. Good. Jeff is another pervert. <laughs> we have two perverts in the room. Oh, here's my point. Do you notice 
that the way that Paul appeals to you in terms of dealing with the carnality in your soul, how is it that he does it? Notice, guys, your life is hidden with in Christ with God. Therefore, put to death the members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, etc., etc. What is the basis on which He appeals to you to clean up your life? It is your safety and security and union in Christ. Because you are safe. I get to work on another stuff. Not get to work on another stuff so that you can be safe. And that's the way we do it, ladies and gentlemen. That's the way we try to clean people's lives up morally. We tell them, you know what? There's going to be consequences if you do that. Well, guys, there's truth in that. I'm simply saying that when Paul got ready to appeal to his people to clean up their lives, he did it on the basis of their safety and security in Christ. That's why I say, union with Christ is the foundation, ladies and gentlemen, of every aspect of our salvation. Why is it that your, that your sin is forgiven? Because Christ paid for it. Why is it that you can resist temptation? Because Christ resisted temptation. Why is it that you can have wisdom from God? Because Christ is our wisdom from God. Why is it that we can make progress in sanctification? Because Christ is our sanctification. You are in union with Christ Jesus the Lord. Um, guys, just as in Adam... Um, there were consequences for his posterity when he sinned. Are you with me? That is, before we're regenerate, that is, when, when I am in, a son of, um, no, when I am in Adam, there are consequences because of what he did that flows down to me. Now, that I'm in Christ, there are consequences there are benefits that flow down to all those who are in Christ. Very frankly, it was Christ who came to reverse all the damage that Christ, that Adam did to us in the first place. There's one other thing that I want to convey and then we'll, then we'll quit for the night. Evangelicals are guilty of misemphases. Bunches of them. One of them, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, is the sacrament of baptism. I, I, I'm telling you. Um, l- l- let me give you an illustration of my great frustration. And I will tone down my great frustration. But if you were an esteemed member of Grace Evangelical Church, and if you're a member, you're esteemed. <laughs> um, but if you... If you're not a member, I don't know what you are. But I'm just, just kidding. Um, if you are a esteemed member of Grace Evangelical Church and you decided, horror of horrors, 
that you no longer wanted to remain at Grace Evangelical Church and move into a general Southern Baptist church, do you know what would be required of you? What? You would have to be rebaptized. Now, if you are a member, an esteemed member of a Southern Baptist church in this community, and you decide that you would like to be a member of Gracie Van, do we ask you to be rebaptized? We would never do that. We would never dream of doing that. In fact, I will go so far as to say, let's say that you were baptized in Roman Catholicism. How about that? But it is a baptism that follows a Trinitarian formula of being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and thus is efficacious not because of the one who administered it, but because of the God who made promises behind it. Now, my point is, here we are, this wonderful evangelical community, and we won't even recognize each other's baptism. What a mess! What a mess we are! That is, that is, my mind, an illustration of a misplaced emphasis. But let me give you another one. Guys, you and I as evangelicals are overwhelmed and overcome, and well we should be, by the great merits of Christ's death on Calvary's cross. Amen. But you must also understand and not miss out on the fact that His life is just as important to us as was His death. We say, we were saved by the death of Jesus. And in one sense, that is inaccurate. Because I'll tell you how you were saved. You were saved by the life of Jesus. You were saved because someone conquered death, obeyed the law perfectly, and became the substitute for our sin on on Calvary. But that whole demand of God that we be perfect has been supplied not by the death of Christ, which, ladies and gentlemen, please don't hear me undercut by any stretch, but there is also to be appreciated among us the great victories of His life. And the great victories of His life are ours because by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit we have been brought into Union with Christ. If I can say nothing else to you, take this home. You are safe. Breathe deeply. Because in Christ, there is no uncertainties about your eternal destiny and well-being. Our Father, I pray that You will give us a greater and greater grasp of all that is ours in Christ. 
Father, we, uh, we, have, we have missed out on so much because we wanted to quibble about baptism. And I pray that you would, at least here, stop the quibbling and get on to the beauty of what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. That that gracious, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in the life of His people is a sufficient guarantee that never will any of His people ever be lost. And it is His people who have by faith laid hold of the great merits of Jesus Christ and never to be eternally harmed by any set of circumstances. Quiet our minds, O God. Give us great joy in a gospel that is far better than we ever dreamed. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.